Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hello, automotive world. This is the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I will be your host today. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. Today, we are going to discuss communication and network problems relating to automobiles. Uh, If you're not familiar with uh, vehicle networks, module communication, we're going to cover some basics involving how these networks are set up and how they work, some of the tools and techniques that we use to diagnose the problems, and of course, the case studies, the problems that we actually see with these vehicles. So I've had a few of these over the last couple weeks, so I thought this would be a great time to go over three vehicles. Today, I'm going to cover a 2013 Ford Focus that has a charging issue, a 2011 Chevy Malibu that does not start intermittently, and a 2008 Ford F-250 that doesn't start at all and has theft light blinking. And these are all going to be communication-related, network-related module communications. So let's get into it. First things first, let's just cover a few basics, and you may be very well familiar with these things, but I want to make sure that everybody is on the same page before we jump into the actual case studies. Uh, First off, when I'm talking about a network, I'm talking about the basic means of communication between two control modules or, in a lot of cases, much more than just two modules. But control modules throughout the vehicle need to communicate with one another, need to have some means of transferring information. If you and I were sitting across from each other in a room, we would use our voices and our ears as means of communication. Uh, Sound waves would vibrate to the air molecules and our ears would pick them up. Our brain processes the sounds into words and we could communicate with one another. Modules need to communicate as well. They're just going to do it over a different medium instead of using ears and mouths and the vibrations of air it's going to use a copper wire and voltage pulses. So computers communicate through binary language, that's zeros and ones, on, off, digital signals, but it's going to do this using voltage pulses over a wire, over a copper wire. And that is our physical network. It is really just a copper wire. And so a lot of times I see techs that sort of back away as soon as they see that U code, that network problem. Like, this isn't going to be solvable. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even want to try messing with it. It's kind of it's kind of intimidating or scary, and it doesn't really need to be that way. If we understand the basic electrical and we understand how these systems work, there's really no reason why any technician that has, you know, basic diagnostic skills and electrical skills can't jump in and figure out some of these problems. So that being said, Some things that we want to be clear on for each particular vehicle before we jump in. I've got just a list of stuff that we want to do a little bit of research on each vehicle that we're working with. Because here's the thing, every application is going to be different. 
Now, unless you work on the same vehicle every day, but a lot of us work on multiple brands and multiple years of vehicles. And even if you did work on the same vehicle all the time, there can be different options within one platform that's going to change the network setup on a lot of vehicles. So I feel pretty comfortable saying this. No matter what you're working on, you need to take the time to make sure that you understand the network on the vehicle that you are working on because it's going to be different depending on what you're working on. And the network is going to be different depending on the age and the application. Also, most vehicles nowadays are going to have multiple networks on a single vehicle, which means we'll have networks that are separated from one another and there'll be some sort of gateway in between these networks but we could be dealing with multiple networks on a single vehicle that we needed to understand how each one of those networks works but again know what you're working on Jim Morton says you know know your enemy uh, do the research if you've worked on it before great but a lot of times again even the same vehicle with a different trim option, different module option can change up the network configuration. So we need to be doing our homework before we jump in. So first thing I want to know is what type of network is this? And we're going to talk about a couple different types of networks today. Single wire, two wire networks. LIN bus is a very common single wire network that we see in a lot of vehicles today. CAN bus is a very common two wire network that we see in vehicles today. Those are the two that we're going to be focusing on today because they're the most common, but there are other kinds out there. There are older single wire networks that don't fall under the category of LIN bus, even though they're similar. And there are networks such as FlexRay, which is similar to CAN bus, but it is different. So first things first, user service information and make sure that you know what you're working on. How is that network set up on that particular vehicle? The next thing that I want to know, and this isn't always the easiest thing to find out, but we want to know what modules are actually on that network that you're working on on that vehicle. Again, not the easiest thing to figure out all the time, but like I alluded to earlier, trim options can change whether or not a vehicle has a specific module. All right, a very simple one that most people have seen, General Motors vehicles come with OnStar, which is the button up on the dash or up on the rear view mirror that you press and you can connect to the OnStar service for GPS and emergency services. But not every General Motors vehicle came equipped with this from the factory. And so there's lots of times where you don't have that. They, they call it a... Uh, vehicle communications interface. I could be wrong on that name, but anyways, it's the OnStar module. It is a control module for the OnStar system on that vehicle. Well, there could be a vehicle that had that as an option from the factory, but didn't actually come with it. So if that vehicle didn't come with it, that module might be on the diagram because it was optional, but it's not actually on that car. Now for an OnStar system, it's easy enough. Take a look at the dash. Okay, it's not there. And that's it. But sometimes it's not so easy. And I'm not going to cover all the possibilities because they're endless. But you need to do your homework as well as you can to figure out what is actually equipped on this vehicle. Again, some of these are easy. Does it have an engine control module? Yeah, it's probably going to have an engine control module. But does it have a transfer case control module? Well, that depends, you know, is this a four-wheel drive truck or is it a two-wheel drive truck? Is it a manual transfer case 
or is it an automatic transfer case? That could make the difference whether there's an actual control module there. And those are the sort of things that we need to look for. We also want to look at how the network is set up, how the network is constructed. And I mean in a physical sense. How is this thing wired up? Where is each module in reference to the other modules on this network? And also, what is the topology of this network? That kind of goes along with how the modules are set up. But there are different ways that a network can be wired up. And we'll discuss a couple different ways in these case studies. But just to give you a reference, General Motors likes to do what's called daisy chaining the network so you have four wires that are plugged into a module, and I'll explain that a little bit more later, whereas Ford doesn't do that with their CAN bus system. So that's going to change, and again, I'll get into why later, but that's going to change how we diagnose that system and how it operates a little bit too, how faults can be introduced into those systems. So we really want to look at the diagram. This is going to be our biggest help. I don't jump into any network communication issue if I don't have a diagram in front of me and I've identified which modules are on that vehicle to my best ability and I understand the construction I understand what type of network I'm working on um, now I feel comfortable going into this diagnostic and I'll be able to identify the problem fairly easy from that point hopefully as long as it's not intermittent or really weird but Let's get into the first case study. It is a 2013 Ford Focus with a 2.0 liter. I was called into this shop because they have replaced the alternator twice. And each time after the alternator is replaced, even though the battery is charging at around 13 and a half volts or a little bit more, doesn't matter. It is charging the battery. The battery light is on the dash, the little red battery charging indicator saying that vehicle is not charging. They said they had some codes in there, but they're not sure where to go on this. They think maybe they got a couple bad alternators. Hey, I've seen that happen. If you're getting them from an uh, aftermarket parts store, that's definitely possible. But they called me in to figure out why is this light on? What's going on? So I get there. I confirm, okay, the charging light is on and it's got a brand new alternator in it. Obviously, you do some basic checks, make sure that the uh, main cable is connected properly. I've seen that a number of times where they don't tighten down the nut on the top of the alternator, but you know, this one was charging, so I assume that would be good, but I check it just in case the belt is on and spinning the alternator correctly. Okay, awesome. And of course, the battery light is on the dash, even though this thing is charging above 13 volts when it's running. I scan the PCM. I have a code in there. It is a U, and if you're looking at the OBD2 style of codes, a U as the first digit, a lot of times we see P, a U as the first digit is going to indicate a network issue, a communications issue. So we have, and we have a communications issue here. This is a U012D, and the meaning of this code is lost communication with the generator control module. Okay, what's our generator control module? That is actually the alternator, all right? Inside of that alternator is a computer board that is has communication capabilities that can send um, information, it can receive commands, and it is connected to the PCM via a LIN bus. 
So what's a LIN bus? A LIN bus is a single wire means of communication. Now that doesn't mean that there's only a single module on this. There can be multiple modules on a LIN bus, but it is going to use a single wire in order to communicate between those modules. The easiest way to show the difference of this is to compare it to a CAN bus, which uses two wires. Again, this is just going to use a single wire. In a lot of applications, a LIN bus is going to have a 12 volt reference voltage and modules will pull that voltage down to ground in order to communicate. That's the most common that we see. There, there could be other voltage reference voltages used, um, but in this case, on this Ford, there is a 12 volt reference put onto this bus, this LIN bus, and it is pulled down to ground when a module wants to talk and wants to say something. In this LIN bus, the PCM is the master. So the, the PCM is going to send out commands and request information, and the alternator is going to send information back. So the PCM will say, hey, charge the battery to this point. And it will send a message back saying, yep, I'm charging. Uh, we don't know exactly what is being said, or I'm sure the engineers do. Uh, as technicians, we don't know exactly what's being said back and forth. But there needs to be communications between these two uh, modules. And, and even though it's an alternator, it is a module on a network. And the setup for this alternator, the wiring, is really easy. I always, If I'm going into a charging issue, I want to know the wiring. How is the alternator excited? How is it? turned on and it has the main cable going to it the big thick red cable that this in this case goes to the starter and then up to the battery but but the other connector is just a one wire connector with a brown and blue wire and that's our LIN bus and that's it it is just that connector for activating the alternator and the alternator is actually set up so if it loses this LIN bus communication it can still charge which I think you can figure out that's where we're headed with this but Let's continue on. These two are not the only things on this LIN bus, on this Ford Focus. There's another component that we need to be aware of that is on this LIN bus and is the active grill shutter. So these are plastic vents basically uh, right behind the grill in front of the AC condenser that can open and close. And the PCM is going to also send commands to the active grill shutter on that same LIN bus. Remember, these are all connected. And one thing about a network is no matter where you're testing in the network, if everything's good, everything's connected properly, it should be the same voltage at each point, okay? So if I'm the alternator and I pull that LIN bus down to ground to transmit some data, I should see that voltage getting pulled down at the alternator at the active grill shutter and at the PCM. Everything should be the same everywhere in the network at one given point. That would be optimal. That would be everything's connected, working properly. So an important thing to remember about networks, if we're looking at them, what we're seeing on a scope, uh, preferably, you're not going to be able to catch it with a voltmeter, should be the same at all times. So my first test here is, uh, of course, I want to keep in mind this active grill shutter because I've seen these before fail and cause issues with this LIN bus. If it's corrupting the network, if it's pulling it down to ground when it's not supposed to, or shorting it to power when it's not supposed to, uh, the alternator can't communicate with the PCM and we're going to get this code that we have. So I'm keeping that in mind, but my first test, just because of ease, I go to that connector on the alternator and I want to see what's going on on this LIN bus. And so I use my U-scope because, again, if you're going to do network scoping, 
We want to be able to see these fast transmissions. These computers are talking so fast. Now, LIN bus is slow in comparison to some other networks, but even a LIN bus is sending a ton of information in a very short period of time. It's incredible how fast modules can communicate using these voltage pulses because they're really only limited by the speed of electricity and the speed of the processor. And, you know, today's processors are pretty fast, so they can send a lot of data. Again, Linbus is going to be slower than some of our other networks, but still fast. We're going to use a scope so we can see, I want to see that data packet, those little uh, pulses down to ground, somebody's talking. But when I back probe the connector at the alternator, I see a steady 12 volts at all times. Key on engine off, key on engine running, same thing, 12 volts there all the time. So now I'm thinking in my head, okay, is the Linbus shorted to 12 volts? all the time. Something's sending power out when it's not supposed to, or wires rubbing through and it's shorted to 12 volts. That is a possibility. But something we also want to consider is where is our reference voltage for the LIN bus coming from? And what I mean by that is normally that bus sits at 12 and gets pulled down to ground. Where does that reference voltage actually come from? Does the alternator actually provide that? Does the PCM provide it? Do both provide that? And we see in CAN bus systems where every module provides the reference voltage for the circuit. And so just because I see 12 there doesn't mean that the entire bus is going to be shorted 12 volts. So what I did at that point was I want to check another point in this network and see if it's also at 12 volts. Uh, the PCM wasn't really that easily accessible, but what was, was the connector for the active grill shutter, and I see the same color wire, which is blue and brown, and I back probe that, and I actually see communication like I'd expect to see it on a LIN bus. I see that voltage getting pulled down to ground in little data packets. Okay, so this means a lot to me. So again, this network is set up like this. It goes one wire out from the PCM and basically splits and branches off. One goes to the alternator, one goes to the active grill shutter. I have communication at that grill shutter. Now, I didn't go to the PCM, but I'm expecting that there's going to be communication there as well. Maybe, maybe not, but I know I don't have communication happening at the alternator and I should see it there. So why not? To me, this is indicating an open wire in that LIN bus somewhere between the PCM and the alternator. So what I'm going to do at that point is just do a good visual inspection and this pretty much did it for me. I followed the harness up from the alternator with my hands, went all the way around until I saw some green crusties and it, there, wa there wasn't much. I'll put a picture up in the Facebook group, but just enough, just a hint where I could see it. I pulled the harness back a little bit from where it went around the intake manifold by the throttle body and there was kind of a sharp edge to the intake manifold right behind the throttle body. This harness was pushed up against it and it had rubbed straight through the loom and then straight through this LIN bus wire that ended up going to the alternator, basically cutting off its communication. And there was a couple other wires that were about to be broken as well. I pulled it back. I showed the tech what was going on with it and of course it's just a matter of fixing a wire at that point everything works uh, the alternator can talk with the PCM again and everybody's happy uh, no other issues with that so um, that's our first communication case study and again it's a LIN bus it's a little simpler but 
just remember if these modules can't talk to each other, uh, you're going to have issues. If that alternator can't talk, it's still going to charge the system, but uh, we're going to get those codes. We're going to get that light because the PCM's not getting the messages that it needs back from that alternator. All right, on to our next case study, which is a 2011 Chevy Malibu, the 2.4 liter. This was presented to me as an intermittent no crank, and the shop suspected it was a security issue. They were told that the security light was on when it would not crank and would not start. Okay, awesome. I love intermittent stuff. That's great, especially as a mobile tech and I'm trying to make money. I suppose any technician we're trying to make money. We don't like intermittent issues, but I lucked out on this and it was a hard fault. I went out in the parking lot and it did not start. I'm like, yes, awesome. So I want to do as many tests as fast as possible so that I can catch this while it's actually acting up because I know it's not a constant all the time problem. They said sometimes it starts and runs just fine. Other times you get the situation you have now. Now, I did notice the theft light was on the dash, but I want to hook up and see what's going on to this thing. I do an all-system scan, and I have a ton of communication codes in multiple modules. So again, um, I'm getting into a communications issue here. So I want to understand what am I working on. So in this Chevy Malibu, we have actually two different networks on this vehicle. And there was multiple networks on the Ford as well. I didn't get into that, but uh, for this one, it does kind of matter. There is basically a high speed and a low speed network on this vehicle. The low speed network is going to be a one wire network, very similar to a LIN bus. And the high speed network is actually going to be a CAN bus, controller area network. They call this GM LAN or GM high speed LAN. And this is going to be a two wire network. The modules that are on this, because again, I want to know what modules are actually on this high-speed network, are the engine control module, the transmission control module, the body control module, anti-lock brake control module, and the power steering control module. Not all those are incredibly important, but those are the modules that are on this network. And that's where all my codes are as well. So I'm really leaning towards, okay, high-speed, I got communication codes. Now, when you have a lot of communication codes, it can be overwhelming because you don't know which direction to go, especially in this case, because I had multiple modules saying that they couldn't talk to other modules. What I mean by that is just an example. The BCM says it can't talk to the TCM and the PCM says it can't talk to the BCM and the ABS computer says it can't talk to the power steering control module. So nothing really made sense except for one constant, which was that nothing could talk to the TCM that's the transmission control module, including myself and my scan tool. Because when you're on the network, you are actually another control module, if it were, on that network. Now, you do want to be careful. You want to know, is that network actually hardwired to the DLC or not? We could have a diagnostic network that is only between your scan tool and a gateway module. And we want to be careful of that and just be aware of it. But in this case, I didn't. I'm actually hardwired into the network when I'm plugged into it and I can talk to all the modules. So again, I'm on this high-speed network, which is a CAN bus network. And I can talk to every module except for my transmission control module. And I got a ton of communication codes. Not all of them really make sense for exactly what's going on, but 
the constant that I see in most of the modules, not all of them, but most of them is that there's no TCM communication. All right, so I've got to start, I can go somewhere. Now, would a TCM transmission control module stop an engine from starting, from cranking? Yes, definitely. It needs to know what range the transmission is in in order to operate the starter. If it doesn't know what range the transmission's in, it's not going to operate the starter, uh, among other things, but that could definitely cause it to be a no-crank situation, and I can't talk to it with a scan tool. I've got code saying that other modules can't talk to it. Let's go with this, again, because I, I want to figure out as much as I can before this thing actually starts on me. So I want to stop here and just explain a little bit about a CAN bus network. Uh, in case someone is not familiar with how a CAN bus network is set up, this is going to be a two-wire network. And so what I mean by that is there is a high and a low side of the network, and two wires are going to go into each module. And in GM's case, it's actually four, but for simplicity's sake, when I'm explaining the network, um, just think of two modules, and there are two wires that are going between those two modules, a high and a low. Now the data that is transmitted, the zeros and ones, the voltage pulses that's being transmitted on the high side is actually the same that's being transmitted on the low side. Uh, we use a two-wire setup for reduction in interference in the network, and there it's actually a twisted wire pair. This will eliminate any interference and the computers, the processors can read these high-speed messages even if, you know, the car is not exactly in the perfect scenario for electrical transmission. You know, we can have radio interference, electromagnetic interference, and having a two-wire twisted pair is going to help with this. But that's how our CAN bus is set up. Now, the other thing you need to know about a CAN bus network, number one, that the high and low side are transmitting the same data. It's not an in and an out or transmit receive. It's the same data on both high and low. And the computer is actually comparing the two to each other. But there's also two terminating resistors located within that network somewhere. Sometimes these are external modules. Sometimes they're internal to modules. A lot of times they're internal to modules. But again, it they don't necessarily have to be. You could have an external terminating resistor. And this is to prevent echoing or ringing in the system. Uh, I'm not going to get too far into detail on that because, to be totally honest, uh, I have a tough time wrapping my head around it. But I know they're there, and I know I can use them to help me in diagnostics because I know the resistance of these terminating resistors, okay? They're 120 ohms, and there are two of them, and they're wired in parallel, which ends up being 60 total ohms of resistance for that network. Again, if we put resistors in parallel, we actually lower the total resistance of a circuit. If we put them in series, we'll raise the total resistance. It's basic, you know, Ohm's law and resistance series parallel. But point of the matter is 60 ohms is what I want to see on a intact CAN bus network, which what I mean by that is everything plugged in, all the modules with terminating resistors are plugged in, and there's no opens or shorts in the network. If I saw zero ohms, that would indicate to me they are shorted together. But if I see 120 ohms, it means I'm missing one terminating resistor. So this can really give me a point of direction. It's one of the first checks that I make when I'm suspecting I got a communication problem, I got a network issue. 
So one of the best checks you can do here is just a gnome check of the network. And again, from this vehicle, I can do it right from the DLC, watch it in other vehicles if there's a diagnostic bus, uh, a diagnostic can. You can't always do that and you need to be aware of that. You have to tie it in somewhere else in the in the network to actually be physically connected to it. One thing to note about doing this ohm check, you want to make sure that the power is shut off. If you want to be totally sure, disconnect the battery. Generally, leaving the key off for a minute or so will put the bus to sleep, and then we can use our ohm meter. And it's one place that the ohm meter really shines because it's an easy check to make of the network. Again, I'm checking the whole, the entire network that spans the entire vehicle in a lot of cases. I'm checking the entire integrity of that with my ohm meter. And you can use any ohm meter, and we just hook up. And I want to see 60 ohms. In this case, I do. So that means a lot to me. That means everything is plugged in the way it's supposed to. That means the network is physically intact, but for some reason, I can't talk to my TCM. Now, what I mean by everything's plugged in correctly, all the modules are plugged in. In General Motors, if you look at the topology, and this is another reason why it's important to look at your diagram, they are daisy-chained, which means that you have four network wires going to each module. And they're most of the time, not all of the time, on the same connector. Uh, a lot of times really close to each other. But anyways, there's four wires. And you could think of this as like an in and an out. It's not really the case because uh, network communication is going to go both directions. But that's kind of how I think of it because I look at it as the network communications flowing downstream. So you've got one module at one end, which is generally going to have your terminating resistor and you get a mod module at the other end of this will, which will generally have your other terminating resistor uh, again not always the case but if you look at the connector the one at the end only has two wires going to it and then the next module has four wires it's got two coming from the first module and then it's got two going to the next module so what I mean by this and why this is important is if I unplug a module in the middle and I'm trying to talk to things with my scan tool, not only am I going to lose the module that I unplugged, I will lose communications with all the modules downstream from there. And depending on where the break is, you're going to lose that terminating resistor's resistance to that network, and you'll end up with 120 ohms. So again, going back to the Malibu, I did my ohm check at the DLC. I got 60 ohms. Everything's good to go. Let's move on to the next step. Where do I go from here? Again, can't talk to my TCM, my transmission control module. Before I jumped all the way out to my TCM, I have my U-scope out. And so I do just want to check. I want to see what the communication waveform looks like, what's happening here. Now, I know I can plug in my scan tool. I can talk to stuff, but I do just want to do a quick check. Again, that U-scope is so awesome because if you flip it on and you plug it in, you get a waveform like that. I mean, it is not a time-consuming thing to pull out this U-scope and just see what's going on. So before I even get out of the driver's seat, I'm checking this. And what I see on the high and the low side of this CAN network is a really nasty waveform. And I will post a picture of this in the Facebook group, so check it out. If you have seen a CAN bus waveform... This doesn't look like it. Uh, you should have nice, clear, uh, square edges. 
the high side should go from two and a half to three and a half volts, three and a half volts during transmission. The low side should go from two and a half down to one and a half during transmission, and it should be a square wave. Remember, this is digital binary communication. What I have isn't that. It's anything but that. It's very jagged, rounded edges, and the voltage levels don't seem to be correct either. So uh, that's the best description I can give you on a podcast and what it looked like, go check out the Facebook group if you want to see the picture of the waveform. It doesn't look like how it's supposed to. So I'm actually kind of surprised at this point that I can talk to any module, but you'd be surprised what you can actually do even with a nasty waveform. And it's actually a good thing to point out is I do like scoping the network. I do like looking at the waveform, but don't overanalyze it. I have done that before on vehicles where I didn't really like the way it looked and I thought that was causing my problem when that wasn't really the case. Let's use our other indicators that we have for us uh, to help us figure out what the problem is. In this case, it looks really bad though. I'm even for General Motors, which can look bad at some cases, this looks really, really ugly. So where I go from here, well, I'm still going to go for my transmission control module, but at least now, you know, I have a waveform that I can check before or after I do stuff and see if it changes at all. That's one thing I can do, even though, again, that network is physically intact based on my ohm check. So I head out to the TCM and the first thing I want to do is I just want to unplug this module because you can have a module, although physically connected to the network, it pollutes the network. It pollutes what you would see as far as the voltage levels, as far as the transmission, and it creates a scenario where modules cannot hear each other because <laughs> I, I equate it to uh, he's the drunk guy at the bar that's just yelling so loud that no one else can hear themselves think. And that's kind of what can happen on a network as well. You can have a corrupted module sending out nonsense, voltage levels that are all over the place, and it'll cause other modules to not be able to talk with each other. So anyways, I want to unplug this module and see what happens. But one thing to remember again on General Motors CAN bus stuff is how they daisy chain their networks, meaning I have four wires going into that module. When I disconnect that connector, I've got to jump those CAN lines to each other because inside the module, they're really just jumped together and then connected to the transceiver inside the module. But once you disconnect that connector, you're actually disabling part of the network. And so what I want to make sure that I do again is just jump those together. So I do this. I unplug the connector from the TCM, which is right on the side of the, or I should say the front of the vehicle on the side of the transmission, really easy to get to under the hood. I jump the two network wires to each other. So I'm just connecting them and basically eliminating the TCM from the network. I go back, I look at my U-scope, awesome signal. I go hook up my scan tool, I can talk to everything, and the only codes I'm getting are no comm with TCM. Well, of course, I have it unplugged. And of course, it's not going to start, but I'm not surprised at this because it has no TCM input. But I think I'm on to something, especially by how my network looked on the U-scope. It looked great at this point. It looked like a normal CAN bus waveform. That's what I want to see. So, okay. What's the last thing that I've got to do here? I've got to check my powers and grounds to this module. And this is an important thing to remember. Just because a module is polluting a network with nonsense, which it was in this point, at least on what I saw on the scope, and based on some of the codes too, I had other module communication codes like BCM to PCM that 
didn't necessarily make sense at first, but once I saw the way the network looked, it did. So one thing that can cause a module to do this is that it doesn't have the proper power or ground, or maybe it has no power or ground, and that's something we should do anyway before we condemn a module, but it's an important point to remember especially when we get into scoping networks, is that we can see a very distorted waveform just from a module missing a power or a ground. Check out Scanner Danner, and he has a case study for a Volkswagen, I believe it was a Jetta or a Passat, that was missing, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't even (laughs) ruin the case study for you, but it was missing a power to a module, and it was causing this waveform to look just horrible when it wasn't really the fault of the module. It was the module didn't have its proper power sources in order to communicate properly. So something to keep in mind, a failed ground or failed power to a module can cause it to pollute a network. doesn't always work that way, but in some cases it does. And it was in this case. So I go out to my TCM and I check for my powers and grounds. I have no ground, nothing. And I'm loading my powers and grounds using a headlight bulb, Um, Sometimes you do a quick test with a headlight, but we want to make sure we can flow some current to these modules. I got nothing on the ground. Look at my diagram, ground 107, G107. It's on the front side of the engine block. I reach my head under there, take a look at this thing. It's all green, and where the wires go into the crimp by the bolt, um, they're very loose, and I can wiggle them. And as soon as I wiggled those, and I had plugged the TCM back in, and I started wiggling them around, I actually got it to come online. I could talk to it. I could start the vehicle once I wiggled those grounds. So um, easy enough to do, you know, pull that... Uh, pull that ground off of there, replace the the crimp, fix it however the shop wants to fix it, but I showed them where the problem was, and that was it. So we had a bad ground for the TCM, causing it to basically pollute the data network, and also it wasn't sending anything out as far as usable information via the scan tool or any other module and was keeping it from starting. But I could see how that wire that was on that ground was intermittently making contact. So it didn't always start. Sometimes it did. And after talking to the shop, he's like, oh yeah, when he'd hit bumps, his speedometer would go all weird and the lights would come on the dash. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Stuff like that'd be good to know up front, but you know, we don't always get all the information (laughs) right away. So Let's move on to our third and final case study for today. This is a 2008 Ford F-250. I was called in because this is a no start, no crank with a theft light flashing. Uh, The shop just wanted me to do a theft relearn. I thought that's what needed to be done at this point. I get a little bit of the story on this one because I do ask questions to see what's going on with these vehicles and the parts cannon had been fired on this Ford. We have a new ignition switch, new keys, new PCM, and a new instrument cluster all in attempts to fix the same problem which is a theft light flashing. So uh, I plug into this because, uh, again, they just want me to do a theft relearn and immediately I can't talk to the instrument cluster. Well, if I can't talk to the instrument cluster on this vehicle, I can't do my parameter reset. I can't do any theft functions because the theft is actually located within the instrument cluster. Now, one thing, and I've mentioned this before on a Ford Transit that I worked on, just because you have a theft light on one of these vehicles, especially these Fords, doesn't actually mean that the vehicle has a PATS system, has an anti-theft system. So what I mean by this in 
and this actually had a transponder key, at least the ones that they replaced it with. But I've seen the original keys be transponder keys, but it has no actual halo. It has no actual theft deterrent system, really. If you could just jam a screwdriver in that ignition switch and turn it, you'd be able to start this vehicle as long as everything else was uh, good to go, which it wasn't in this case. But there's no actual PAT system. So why do we have a theft light? Well, the instrument cluster and the PCM still need to have a handshake between the two of them in these cases when you don't actually have a PAT system. And if they don't, if one of those is offline, one of them's replaced, you've got a, the vehicle's not going to start. It's not going to allow starter operation and you're going to get a blinking theft light on the dash, which is what we have here. But again, I can't talk to the instrument cluster, but I don't really need to worry about the security system too much because it is just the cluster and the PCM that are involved in this one. So watch out for that on Fords, especially work trucks. I see that a lot where they don't actually have a PAT system. All right, so I can't talk to this module and I'm guessing the PCM can't talk to it either uh, because it's not allowing starter operation. Now, again, you'd have to do a parameter reset on this after all these parts have been replaced. But uh, my guess is if I can't talk to it, the PCM can't either. Why is this? Where do we go with this? What do we look at? And again, I want to understand the network. There are two networks on this vehicle. There's a medium speed can and there's a high speed can. Which one does my instrument cluster exist on? My instrument cluster actually is on both networks. This can be tricky. This is what is known as a gateway module. It is connected to multiple networks on the vehicle and it will allow data transmission between the two networks. So uh, which network am I looking at? Which network does the scan tool communicate with the instrument cluster on? I'm not really sure at this point, but what I end up finding out by doing an all system scan is that I can also not talk to the restraint control module, which is the airbag SRS control module. So I've got another module I can't talk to. The other thing I notice by looking at the wiring diagram, because what I did is again, I went through and said, which modules are on this vehicle. And there's a number of options for these F-250s, like a trailer brake control module, a transfer case control module. Uh, I think there was one other one, but I didn't have any of those. This was real, real simple. On that high-speed bus, all I have is the PCM, the cluster, the restraint control module, and the ABS. Four modules. Awesome. But what I also notice when I'm looking at this and I'm looking at modules and stuff, the PCM communicates with the instrument cluster over the high-speed bus. So I can't talk to the restraint control module, which is also on the high-speed bus. I can't talk to the instrument cluster, which is on both. And the PCM and the instrument cluster don't seem to have any communication. He did say this was the original problem before he replaced any parts. So I want to look at the high-speed bus, is the long and short of it here, <laughs> is uh, I want to look at my high-speed bus. I'll see if there's an issue with that. So again, I'm going to go to my basic quick check of ohm checking the network with my ohm meter and I'm expecting to see 60 ohms of resistance on that high speed CAN network. Again, we've got two terminating resistors that are wired up in parallel and I should see that 60 ohms. So uh, remember, no power here. Uh, if you have the network powered up, your ohm meter is not going to give you a correct reading. So I powered a vehicle down. I ohm check it. I got about 122, 120 ohms, um, close enough to 120. So I know, okay, in this case, I actually have uh, an open in the network somewhere. 
Okay, now where that is, I don't know at this point, but there should be two terminating resistors. I should have 60 ohms if they're all wired up correctly. So unlike the Malibu, which I knew was physically intact, this Ford is not. I got an open in the network. Now whether that's at a module or a wire, I'm not sure at this point. And just to note, Ford does not daisy chain their networks, at least nothing I'm aware of. Uh, they basically just have legs of the network that will extend to different modules. But I still want to understand, how's this thing set up? How, what is the topology and where are these modules physically located on this network? Because, again, I've got two modules out of the four that I can't talk to, restraint control and the instrument cluster, but I can talk to the ABS and the PCM. So looking at the physical network and the placement of those modules can actually help me to identify where my open might be. The other thing that we want to consider is where are the terminating resistors. Ford's pretty good about this. GM's generally pretty good at this. If you look at the diagram, it will show you which modules contain the terminating resistors. And in this case, my instrument cluster, which I can't talk to, and my PCM, which I can talk to, have the terminating resistors. So uh, I know that the open is going to be somewhere between my DLC, because that's on the network as well. I'm hardwired into this network. There's no Diag CAN on that goes to a gateway module. I'm hardwired in. I know the open is somewhere between my DLC, which kind of comes in the middle of the network, and the next module downstream, if you were, which is the restraint control module, actually. So that kind of helps me out if I understand the physical location of these components within the vehicle. And the restraint control module is underneath the bench seat in the front of the vehicle. Obviously, I think we can find the instrument cluster. What I'm not so sure of is exactly how the CAN bus wiring is routed throughout this vehicle. But... Here's where a little bit of experience comes in handy. I've been through communication issues on these Fords before. One of the first places I'm going to look, especially on a work truck, which this one is, you know, it's all full of dirt and rocks and everything like that. And it's used, used as a work truck, as it should be. Take the rocker panel trim plate up is the first thing I did because I can literally grab it with my hand, pull it up, and there is a series of wires that are underneath this trim panel, the rocker panel, the driver's side right down by the floor where the seat is, and there is CAN bus wires, there's network wires that are running through this wiring loom that go underneath this trim panel, and what happens is they get full of dirt and water and salt and everything else and getting stepped on, and it's very, very common to have breaks in the network here. Well, I lucked out. I went for the low-hanging fruit, and I scored. <laughs> there's a break in my CAN bus right there. Oh, sweet, awesome. This, you know, Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get your ass kicked, but sometimes you luck out in this case experience helped me out here um, I might have taken a little bit more time to find that otherwise but uh, it just sort of worked out for me so I find my open and I just took a quick jumper to this wire that was broken underneath this panel and immediately I get communication back to the modules that I need instrument cluster Strength control module, sweet, awesome well, I know it's not going to start just yet because they replaced all these things and I need to do the parameter reset. So now that I can access the instrument cluster, this is where the anti-theft is actually located in the vehicles in the instrument cluster. Now that I can talk to it, I'm going to go into the anti-theft, do my 10-minute wait, and I'm going to do what's called a parameter reset. 
Again, even though there's no actual path system and there's no add a key function, there's none of that, it's just a parameter reset, that is the handshake between the instrument cluster and our new PCM to say you belong to this vehicle and it will allow the vehicle to start. So I do this, I do my parameter reset and my theft light stops blinking, but I still have no crank. Ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> I thought I was on easy street for a little while there. Eh, not quite. Uh, this is where we kind of have to think on our feet as technicians, especially as a mobile technician, because you never know what you're going to walk into or work on. But this thing doesn't crank. Uh, again, theft light's gone. No codes in this thing. I can communicate with everything, but I don't have any starter operation. So I go into my PCM, I go into the data stream, and I'm just looking to see, is it getting a crank request? And it actually was getting a crank request to operate the starter, but it was not allowing starter operation. Okay, what does the PCM need in order to allow starter operation? Obviously, we solved the theft thing, or at least I thought we did. Um, at that point, I didn't see anything indicating the theft light was off, so I assumed that was good. But let's go back to basics. What else does the PCM need in order to operate the starter? Well, one of the big things is, same thing with the Malibu, it needs to know the range of the transmission. This is an automatic transmission. We've got to be either in park or neutral in order for the starter to operate. If we have it in reverse or drive or low, it's not going to operate the starter. And that's just a neutral safety switch if you want to go back to the old days. So... um Let's find this data pit and see what it says. You know, these guys threw a ton of new parts on this thing. They were messing around with it, trying to get this thing started for days. And who knows what they unplugged or what what else was done to this uh, at one point or another. I, I have a feeling this problem is man-made. So I'm looking through my data stream for the PCM. And this powertrain control module. So it actually operates the functions for the automatic transmission. And it had a tab in the IDS that said automatic transmission data pids. And I go into this, and I have no park neutral position anywhere. I'm like, oh gosh, maybe it's a different module. I don't know. And I start looking, and I have no automatic transmission data pids. And I mean, like, I'm used to seeing, like, torque converter clutch solenoid and shift solenoid command and all these different things that we're used to seeing as data pids for an automatic transmission. None of it's there. I have a backup switch. And I have a vehicle speed sensor. Those are my data pids. And then there's a few other things like mass airflow and ambient air temperature, stuff like that. But there's nothing else listed under the automatic transmission data pids. And I thought, well, that's very strange. And so this is, again, is where we kind of have to think on our feet. And I know that they replaced this control module. I asked him where he got it from. He said it ordered it from somewhere online. He gave him the VIN and they were supposed to program this thing correctly. Well, I poked around with looking at the programmable parameters for this PCM. I didn't see anything for changing it from a manual transmission to automatic transmission, but I assume that the one they have is for a manual transmission, and that's why I don't have any automatic transmission data pids, including my park neutral safety switch that it's looking for. In this case, it's probably looking for a clutch input, which doesn't exist on this vehicle. So I said, hey, you got that original PCM? And they did. I plugged that in, did my parameter reset again, because uh, I had to re-handshake the instrument cluster to its original PCM. And once I did that, this thing fired up, it ran. So they got a 
PCM that was actually for that truck, but with a manual transmission. And I don't know if the hardware number is different. I didn't bother to figure out any of that out. I said, there you go. You're, you're good to go. This truck runs it. They were happy to get it out of their hair and they were going to stick with the original PCM and send the other one back. So that's it for communication case studies today. I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions on anything, be sure to check out the Facebook group. And if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, whichever podcast service that you are using to listen to this, if you could go on and leave me either a rating, a review, or both, uh, that would mean a lot to me. I appreciate it. It helps other people find this podcast and we can share the information. Other than that, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.